Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning uh, comes from three passages in the New Testament, beginning with Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. And if you take the uh, Pew Bible in front of you, you'll find that on page 934. Then we'll uh, move ahead to Galatians 3 on page 113, and then Colossians 3 on page 1144. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the, the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. 
Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning with a special sense of anticipation on Christmas Eve and with a sense of wonder as we uh, look forward to celebrating tomorrow the story of you, uh, God, becoming man, sending yourself in human flesh to be born, to live among us, and to, to die to bring us salvation. We thank you for uh, this time. We ask that you just um, allow our hearts to be open in worship and open to hear the word that you have given to Pastor Mark. We pray your special blessing on him now as he comes and that you would um, uh, enable him to communicate clearly to us and us to have ears to hear. Amen. Just before I get started, I think it should be a rule at Bethesda. Whenever we encounter the word L-O-V-E, we should have to say love. I think that would be, that'd be a good dramatic addition, I think, to our ministry. The love candle. <laughs> that was good. If you have a more British or European heritage, then I wish you and yours a very happy Christmas. And if you have a more North American bent and lineage, I wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas. We're glad you joined us, whether it's here in person or over the live stream, we are very, very glad that you are here. And I just see my friends Ben and Judy back there. Hello, good to see you. We're also very much encouraged by what God in Christ Jesus is doing in us, among us, around us, and through us these days. People are coming to Bethesda from a number of places, around the corner, down the street, across town, even all the way from Afghanistan. We are very, very excited about what's going on these days. People are also coming to Christ. People are stepping up and stepping in to do your part, and we are very thankful for that. And all together, this adds up to one reality, and that is Jesus is with us. Now, right up front, I think I should confess that this might not seem like or sound like or be like your grandmother's Christmas Sunday sermon. Not that there would be anything at all wrong with that. I love your grandmothers. But it might not seem like that because it's not that, not really. But I do want to encourage you to stay with me and stick it out until the end where the sovereign goodness of God and the coming of Messiah and King, which has been the Advent theme and title of our worship and sermon series is in full view. You see there on the screen that my sermon topic and title this morning is the timely love of God in Christ Jesus. The timely love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I'd, I'd like to re reflect for just a moment on the phrase, the sovereign 
goodness of God from our series title, The Sovereign Goodness of God in the Coming of Messiah and Christ. What does that mean, the sovereign goodness of God? Well, let's look into it. I gotta turn my dealie on here. There we go. The sovereign goodness of God. God's sovereignty, that is his rightful rule, his rightful reign, his sole prerogative as only God and creator, to act in any way consistent and coherent with his being, nature, and word is altogether good. So the sovereign goodness of God means that God's sovereignty is altogether good as well. Now, to rebut that idea that God is altogether good, including and perhaps especially as he exercises his sovereignty, the concept of God's sovereignty is often pitted against the appearance or the reality of the free will or the agency or the choice of human beings as if they were in conflict, but they're not in conflict. There is no conflict or contradiction between God's sovereignty and the ability of human beings to make real decisions, to make real choices, to exercise true agency and to exercise something like freedom in the world. Of course, freedom is a concept that is in substantial dispute. What is it, actually? What might it mean to be free? Surely it's not just doing what we want. Freedom must be something more than that. And can it be gotten apart from God, our Creator? For our purposes this Christmas morn, perhaps we can just say that God's good sovereignty leads us on a path to true freedom that is like no other and yet requires our cooperation, our faith, and our lifelong attention. This ability to make right choices, though, is one of the fundamental ways we image God. We bear his likeness and we represent him on the earth, which is our fundamental purpose for our being, every human being that was ever born. However, God has woven into the design of his creation certain laws, laws of nature, laws of right and wrong, laws of physics, and laws of cause and effect. We can choose, but there are real consequences to our real choices. This means, of course, that God is in charge. He is the authority. He is the great cause and mover. And as Acts 17, 28 puts it, for in him we live and move and have our being. One of the many things this means is that God superintends by his goodness and grace, by his love, mercy, and power, all the events of history, prehistory and post-history to bring about his good will. He doesn't do it arbitrarily, such that we can't know what to do or believe at any moment because God might change the rules, pull the rug out out from under our feet at any moment. No, his word and his will are perfect and perfectly reliable. If we choose to go with him on his way, we will truly be free. So when we read the Bible whether we're literally reading it for ourselves or we're listening to it from an audio recording or we're reading it and hearing it being read in a public gathering such as this, we realize that nothing, nothing at all, 
not in heaven, not in earth, on earth, ever happens by mistake, by chance, by evolution, or outside of God's sovereign goodness. Now, that's not to say accidents never happen. They do. That's not to say we never make mistakes because everything is preordained. We do make mistakes, and everything is not preordained. That's not to say that there's not evil in the world, and we become sometimes the innocent victims of it. There is, and we do. But rather, this means God's sovereign goodness has accounted for each and every one of these inputs such that his word is fulfilled, his will is accomplished, his glory is increased, and our good is secured. If not in this life, then in the next. Now, we human beings have constructed a number of supposed shortcuts, whether for business success or achievement in athletics or personal advancement and actualization, so-called, or organizational optimization. Follow them and success is nearly assured. Violate them and failure is equally certain. See if any of these sound familiar to you. Location, location, location. Fake it till you make it. Image is everything. The key to a good defense is a good offense. The key to a good offense is a good defense. You must dream it to be it. Seeing is believing. It's actually opposite what the Bible teaches, but okay. Success is 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. I think we'd likely all agree that even if we paid sufficient attention to these and gave them proper respect, they might be helpful depending on the application, but probably none of them would guarantee our success or could, disregarding them, ensure failure. There's a little thing called luck. Both bad luck and good luck. Or maybe even God's blessing and God's opposition. That often make a difference as we go along our way. No doubt there are other shorthands to success and failure that we could think of and talk about. We might take Philippians 4.6 seriously, for example. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. That's a summary statement, but I think that's true to the text. I'd like for us to consider just one more, and here it is. Timing is everything. Who's heard that one? A couple of people? A couple of honest people? <clears throat> well, it turns out that timing really is just about everything. We might look at scripture from beginning to last and find that it's actually borne out that timing is very important. Maybe not everything, but it's very important. And we've borne that out in our journeys of faith, perhaps, or especially as we watch and understand God's activity in the world. There's a term for the confluence of our lives, our ministries, and God's action in history, it's divine appointment. 
a divine appointment is when we and another person or we and a certain event intersect with such precise and good timing that it had to be by God's orchestration. How many of us can testify to what we sometimes call a divine appointment? I can. There have been probably tens of times, maybe, maybe hundreds of times in my 31 year, years of uh, faith where there just simply was no other explanation. A check comes in the mail. A person that I haven't seen in years intersects with me, and neither of us knew that we were going to be in that same place. I ran into a friend in an airport one time, and I don't travel that much. And, and he looked at me, and I looked at him like, what are you doing here? And we had the same question, and we, we had some important conversation uh, as a result of that. We, we both had the sense that God had brought us together for this purpose. Now, often we recognize divine appointments as they fade in the rearview mirror. Looking back, we come to the astonishing realization, ah, that was the Lord who did that. He was here. And, and our faith and our hope in him are strengthened and propelled forward. So this Christmas Sunday, 2023, we're talking about the perfectly deliberate timing of the sovereign God to bring historical events both on earth and in the heavenlies, a host of human beings, angels, and even stars in the sky, together in such a way as to demonstrate his love and change eternity, literally, answering the journalistic basics of who, what, when, where, why, and how. And by the time we're finished this morning, we'll have gone a long way to showing that the one true and living God deliberately, purposefully, and precisely brought his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to arrive on our scene at just the right time, in just the right place, in just the right way, to fulfill all his holy and righteous requirements, and even all prophecies about him. Or in keeping with our theme for the day, we might say that the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem was and is the greatest expression of God's sovereign goodness ever. I know the cross is looming over Bethlehem in my sermon, but, but one thing at a time, this is where it started, in Bethlehem on that night in what we now call Israel, or the West Bank. For now, let's just say that God in Christ Jesus came to us in his timely love because we could not and would not come to him. He became one of us that we might become like him. And before we go any further, let's just take one moment to pray once again. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for this opportunity for us to hear your word, to preach and hear your gospel, and to once again celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, for every person who is here this morning, whether in person or by live stream, whether today or sometime this week, hearing these words, I pray, Lord, that you would open each of our minds, each of our hearts, each of our whole beings to understand your love for us in Christ Jesus. That indeed your love for us was settled in the person of Christ on this earth, from Bethlehem to Golgotha, 
to the Ascension, where he sits at your side, interceding for each and every one of us until he comes. Come, Lord Jesus, we ask you and teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the English Standard Version of the Bible translates Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. The New International Version of our Pew Bibles renders Galatians 4.4 a little bit differently, but very similarly. But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son. But to put Galatians 4.4 most plainly in the clearest and most concise English possible, I think we might simply say, at just the right time, God sent his Son. Before we go any further, I want us to realize the literal enormity of that statement. At just the right time, God sent his son. We'll come back to the timing element in a moment, but, but I'd like for us to pause and ponder the second half of the statement, God sent his son. Now, as many of you will know, I'm a closet astronomer, uh, really a theoretical physicist, but I can't do the math, so I couldn't do that professionally. I've got the spatial reasoning, I do that stuff, but I just, I, I can't do the math. Um, so I have to be a closet, unofficial, illegal, wannabe, theoretical physicist. It's, it really comes in handy, though, at moments like these. About two years ago, something called the James Webb Space Telescope was launched and sent out a million miles into space in geosynchronous orbit around the Earth, right, like that. Ooh, better not do that anymore. So it would be clear of all optical obstructions, such as clouds, light pollution, you know, whatever. Um, it was sent out after something like 25 years of development work, such as has never been done in the history of humanity. It was deployed with great hope, and the JWST, or James Webb Space Telescope for short, was not, has not disappointed. Here's a sample. That is galaxy M51. It's about 27,000 light years from the JWST. And it actually has, uh, it actually was the second, at its center is actually the second black hole that was ever imaged, um, M87 which is also Sagittarius A star. No, no, that's not right. Sagittarius A star at the center of the Milky Way was the first to be imaged, and this M51 was the second. Um, I think that's right, it was M87, I, I, but I digress. It, it's, a, it's a big galaxy with a big black hole in the middle of it, and that's the JSWT, the JWST that took the picture. Look at this stunning picture. Of course, that's Saturn with her, wing, her, her rings and a couple of moons there to the left. Um, stunning picture. I'm, I'm going to get this wrong uh, because I don't do Japanese. I think this is Japanese. Ro Ofuichi Cloud Complex, where stars are being born. That's about 460 which is a very short distance of 460 light years from the JWST when it was taken. 
this is called, well, uh, the two stars that are being born. There are two baby stars in there at, at the right of that formation, um, and they're called twins, oddly. Uh, and they're Herbig, Harrow, 46 and 47. And that's about 1,500 light years from the JWST when it was taken. Now, here, here's a real rarity. This is called a Wolf-Rayet star. There are only about 220 of these, it's believed, in the entire Milky Way galaxy, which has many more than a billion, than 100 billion stars. So 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, only 220 of these. And it's distinctive for its brightness and its short life. And this particular one is about 15,000 light years from the JWST when it was taken last year. Then this will be a familiar one to you. That's the famous ring nebula. And uh, yes, Patty just said it looks like the eye of Sauron, except for the blue part. But, um, but yeah, that's the ring nebula, which are the glowing remains of a sun-like star that exploded. And this actually was discovered in 1779 by a French guy. Um, and it's about 2,000 light years away from uh, the JWST, when it was taken. I should say I pulled these from the current end-of-year edition of Time magazine to cite my source. Um, now it's time to get our heads out of the clouds, but only barely. After we've seen just a few pictures of a reality out there that is quite literally beyond us, think about this. When God sent his son at just the right time, the God who made and is making all of that reduced himself to this. That's stunning to me, still today. Celebrating Christmas all, all my life, 31 years as a Christian or so, and that still stuns me. The God who put that in motion by his own deliberate will, his own true agency, his own love and grace for you and me, reduced himself to fit in that manger or, or something like it. That wasn't the actual manger, but something like it. I don't, I don't know that I could offer you a greater, truer, more striking or inspiring contrast between two equally vital aspects of God, creator and becoming a human being. This might be a good time for the central truth of our message, along with your bulletin picture of the manger that you have there in the front. You also have printed our central truth on the inside left, and it's this. At just the right time, God sent forth his son so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, for the remainder of our time, I'd, I'd simply like to return to our three passages of Scripture, Galatians 4, Colossians 3, and Matthew 2, while leaving the manger picture up there on the screen as I read and make a few brief comments on the text. I want us to continue, continuously look at and see and ponder the manger throughout the rest of our time. 
And if I could leave it up there while we sing our last song, I would. I want us to be awed anew at what God has done at Christmas in the person, in the baby, in the sending of his son to be one of us that he might also save such as us and be with us forevermore. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, if you notice a, a, a bit of a difference. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. The point there is as an actual human being. He wasn't hatched. He didn't spontaneously appear. But as... One of my songwriter favorites uh, said, Harry Chapman, he came into the world in the usual way, except for no biological father. But he was born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, the version that Kate read earlier changed sons into children, and usually that's, that's good. I don't think it's good at, in this particular case. And here's why. There are several passages in Scripture which indicate not a male-type person or group of persons, but the privileges, the rights, and the freedoms of the firstborn. And that's what's being communicated here. Born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as firstborn sons, right? All of us. That doesn't take away from femininity. It just says that we're all equal in the eyes of God. We are all given the rights and privileges and the freedoms of the firstborn. We are his. We are brothers and sisters of Christ. And because you are sons, firstborn children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a firstborn son. That's the point. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. Colossians chapter 3. Um, when we look at Colossians 3, it's the last verse that I really want us to pay attention to, verse 4. But... There's a big if at the beginning, if then you have been raised with Christ. So the point here is not that if you are a church member, not if you are a religious person, not if you are a person who follows the rules, but if you have been raised with Christ by the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the resurrection, that's the point. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then verse four is, it just blew me away when I was studying it earlier this week. When Christ, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And there, there are several aspects of Christ's appearance. First of all, if we look back in the Old Testament, there are a number of places. It's, it's called um, uh, an appearance of God. Um, my Parkinson's brain is kicking in right now. Um, theophany, thank you. Um, many times in the Old Testament, God shows up on the scene. We call that a theophany when we can remember the word. 
And um, oftentimes it's, it, there's a very close parallel with the, with the appearance of Christ in those events. And so we want to look very closely at the pre-incarnate Christ showing up as, for example, Yahweh. But that's another conversation for another time. Um, then he appears in Bethlehem, right? Between Bethlehem and his returning for us in glory is him appearing to each one of us individually as Savior and as Lord. And so this idea of Christ appearing is not only a big worldwide or universe-wide event, it also is a very personal, intimate event, Christ appearing to us all. Uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, I don't think he's talking about in the clouds. I don't think he's talking about here to a whole church. I think he's talking here to a church made up of individuals who need to be saved, who need the life that Christ brings. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then finally, he will appear a final time right, to bring us to glory, and so that is also, also in view. Then finally, Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, and we'll be done. Matthew 2. You've been a wonderful crowd. I've noticed watching comedians that they always say something at the end about you. You've been a wonderful crowd. I'm not a comedian, but there must be something to that that people want to come back then after that. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, so whenever we read historical accounts like this, especially in the Gospels, we want to make sure that we get it all. And the writer, Matthew, here is making a point. He's likely writing to a Jewish audience, and each one of these locations has a prophetic contact point that the Messiah was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem, in Judea, at just the right time. And in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we, that is the Magi, we saw his star when it, when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, there are a number of theories, or, or um, uh, that's, that's okay, theories of, of what exactly was that? Was that a... Because it seems like it seems really crazy that a star would go whoop and, and make itself, you know, over Bethlehem. That's probably not what happened, right? Um, there, there are several uh, theories about what went on. There is a one theory that says it was the convergence of two, three, maybe even four stars in in the apparent sky. The apparent sky means not, you know, as it seems. It seems like that because we don't have the perspective. But from this position, it looks like they're all together, maybe something like that. There, there may have been um, uh, a supernova that happened. A star exploded, a big star exploded over, 
that, that it appeared, appeared is a good word, appeared to be over Bethlehem, something like that. So we don't know really what it is, but what we do know is that God made this event spectacular in some way that drew these three magi to come and say, where is he that we've read about in our books who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So we've got Magi coming in from the east. We've got Hebrew or, or Jewish scholars who, who know the Hebrew scriptures. And so they say, he's to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And that's just you know right down the hill. It's right over there. And for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means less least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So a number of years ago, we watched a, a fun little kids, uh, um, it's not a movie exactly, it's like a schoolhouse rock thing, uh, and we, we saw how, how, how unlikely it was for Christ to be appearing at the time he appeared because um, there are something like 467 or 9 or 8 uh, prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament, and the, the odds of all of those prophecies applying to one person was something like in the trillions of trillions. It was, it's, just a, it's a crazy number. And we're only called to believe in this one who appeared in a manger, though he created the universe. At just the right time, God sent his son that we might be, become the children or the sons of God. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for this truth, this wonderful, amazing reality that you and only you could have done it. Reduced yourself into human form as an infant even to fit in that manger or one like it. It literally is beyond our comprehension. I mean, we, we can know the facts of it, we can agree to the facts of it, but, but, but that you would do that being the ruler of the universe and its creator, what love you have lavished upon us. So this Christmas morn, Lord, we we once again thank you and help us in our unbelief and help us to represent you well on the earth in our place and time. Thank you for each person that you brought here this morning. I pray that we'd go away from this place in greater faith, 
greater hope, and deeper love. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a minute, Ari and Michelle are going to play um, the Hallelujah Chorus. And I wanted to share with you the verse in Scripture that that is repeating in the Hallelujah Chorus. It's Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to your family. And may the Lord bless you in this coming new year. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your love for us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.